If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, and friends... Let me tell you about today's episode. We are going to be talking about sabbaticals, and we're going to be talking about that with Emily Raskin. It is no secret, because I've been talking about this for months, I am taking a sabbatical this summer. And by the way, it is the second sabbatical in my career. I believe that every organization should be offering sabbaticals to all of their staff, not just their chief executives, not just their key employees, but to everybody, the receptionist, the case manager, everyone in their organization. And thankfully, the progressive wings of the nonprofit sector, those wings are moving in that direction. They're moving the direction of saying we should be treating our people well, and we should be giving our people the opportunity to disconnect from work in meaningful ways so that they can be their authentic selves and bring that authentic self back in whatever role they're playing in their organization. I will also share with you that when I talk about this, many executive directors and probably even more board chairs will say to me that people in their organization taking a sabbatical sounds like a pipe dream. It sounds impossible. And I often push back. I often really urge them to think about what they need to do to make that possibility a reality. And that's why we wanted to have Emily Raskin on the podcast today. She serves as the executive director of O2 Sabbaticals. O2 Sabbaticals provides financial, coaching, and peer support for Bay Area nonprofit executive directors so that they can actually take sabbaticals. And what I am so excited about this conversation is that because Emily has been in this role for over a decade, she has seen many executive directors take sabbaticals. She understands what it takes from an organizational perspective, a financial perspective, but she also understands the benefit for the individuals that actually have that opportunity. Hey, Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, I again, I'm, I'm so happy you're here because honestly, I think this is something in the nonprofit sector we desperately need to be talking about. Almost every organization I know keeps asking themselves, what, what can we do to 
have better retention of our talent? What can we do to have to better retain our staff? And honestly, sabbaticals is part of it. If someone's approaching a sabbatical and they're a year away, chances are, you know, that they're going to take that sabbatical. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I know that you have talked about two reasons for a chief executive to take a sabbatical. One of them, when you talk about it, might feel obvious to our friends who are listening, but the other one might not. Can you share a little bit about both those reasons? Absolutely. So, so first of all, the the more obvious reason, right? We all understand why an executive director should take a sabbatical. And I think, you know, what I always think about is this idea that rest is essential. You know, it's not a nice to have, it's essential. And I think that this is especially true when you think about the last few years that we've had and how executive directors and organizations have stepped up to meet extraordinary um, needs in their communities. And they are more tired than ever. This work comes at a personal toll. And so rest is essential. Taking that break, I think, and disconnecting from their professional lives and the kinds of sabbaticals we advocate for are ones where there is a hundred percent disconnect from from all professional activities and and we also advocate for sabbaticals being at least three months in length right because it really takes that kind of time to be disconnected in that way because again rest is so essential to our wellness the other part of this, though, that's a little less obvious is what this can do for an organization, right? Because by taking the executive director out of the mix for three months, the leadership team gets to step up and stretch in new ways. What can often happen is it's an opportunity to think about how do we want to do things differently when the executive director comes back. It's an amazing tool for thinking about more distributed leadership, more shared leadership, um, and even about succession planning. One of the interesting things that we've seen in our program is that in five out of the 30 organizations that we've supported to do a sabbatical, the executive director ultimately transitioned out of the organization and the person who was leading in their absence ultimately became the new executive director. And it's an amazing thing because what a number of them said to us is, you know, before the sabbatical, I didn't know if I had it in me. I didn't know if I had the confidence to do this. And it built this confidence. And now these are people who have gone on to be really successful executive directors at their organizations. And to me, that's the the piece we often don't think about when we talk about sabbaticals, that capacity-building piece. In some cases, it sounds like about one out of six cases, the person becomes the executive director. But even if they don't, you now have a senior leadership team with a much higher capacity level than three months before the sabbatical started. Absolutely. A much more resilient organization. Um, and the other thing that's interesting, I should say, some people realize that they wanted to be the executive director or had that in them. And equally important, a lot of folks realize, you know what, that's not for me. I love the role I'm in. I remember one of the development directors saying, I realize how much I love my job. This is what I want to be doing. I, I know I'm in the right place. So that's really important too. It becomes this, it becomes this potential test run. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you mentioned three months is the right length for a sabbatical. How does that become the magic number? Well, I think that three months 
it's the kind of time that somebody needs to really unplug. What we often hear is it takes a little bit of time to adjust, right? (laughs) And then, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to maybe travel or tap into an interest that they don't have a lot of time to tap into during their day-to-day. And that could even be, you know, cleaning out their closets. It could be anything, anything that feels restorative. So there's this period of time to disconnect, to have the experience and to really settle into that. Some people go on and take a sabbatical even longer. Our experience and what we've learned from our colleague funders of the Durfee Foundation, who've been doing this much longer than we have, their recommendation is is not more than five months because at five months, it really starts to create additional, potentially additional stress on the organization. And what's some of the stress that starts to happen at five months? Well, it's just more that if you're waiting for the person to come back, it's, it's a lot to carry. It's a lot to carry. Got it. Got it. And and so um, I'm also really curious because I, when I went to your website and you've only got your awardees listed starting in 2015. And so, you know, I've only got like seven or eight years of data, but it looks like you are personally familiar with about 35 or 36 executive directors who either have taken a sabbatical or are planning to in the next year. Yes. 37 to be exact. <laughs> wow. 37. Okay. And so, so you have a really unique perspective. Um, and so I've, I've got some questions for you based on like that relatively small sample size of 37, but what do people do to prepare for a sabbatical? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, preparing for sabbatical, there's a lot and there's a lot of advice that we give folks. I think that one of the biggest things in preparing is really committing to that 100% disconnect. And we say it's not just a guideline, it's really a commitment. And so what does that mean? It means thinking in advance about what are what might be any extreme emergency that you might need to contact the executive director. And there's very few, really. And uh, well, hold on. Can oh, yeah. you give some examples of what rises to the level of extreme emergency and maybe some examples that don't? Okay, so I can give you some specific examples. Rises to the level of emergency, the building burnt down, somebody passed away. I mean, those are really extreme emergencies. Mm -hmm. The last time we had a cohort go out on sabbatical, we had a pandemic. And that was something that nobody expected. And in some cases, folks got in touch with each other just to make sure they were okay. But in all of those cases, there was still some, there was still a lot of confidence that the leadership team could manage in their absence. So things that don't rise, you know, one thing we talk about is in planning for sabbatical is what are the things that the team has the ability to do or not do. So they think about things like, can we hire and fire when the executive director is gone? We've had organizations that found out during sabbatical that they lost uh, a big government grant and decided that, you know, it was something they thought about ahead of time. Would we contact the executive director? And they didn't need to because everyone had confidence that they could manage in their absence. So those are just a few examples. And okay, so clearly organizations need to think through when are we actually going to reach out and say, oops, ED, we need to talk to you. And when we don't, what else do they need to do to prepare for their chief executive to go away for three months? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really about, you know, in some cases, it's the 
It's the logistical day-to-day, you know, what's the chain of command going to be? Clarifying all the responsibilities that different people are going to carry, preparing the board, you know, about roles and responsibilities. But then there's also the softer stuff. It's who's holding the values of the organization, right? And, And it's interesting because some organizations are really good at the technical, you know, the strategic planning things and and making lists and knowing who's going to do what. And the conversations they need to have is, you know, who's really holding the culture of this organization while we're away. And in some cases, it's the opposite, right? Everybody's really good at holding culture. And what they really need to be thinking through is, okay, what are, what are all the, you know, who's doing what and how are we going to handle these situations? And I think the other thing that a lot of people, that's not as obvious, that people want to think about is how is the executive director going to re-enter when they come back, right? And that's something to think about ahead of time, because sometimes that's what takes people off guard. You know, the executive director comes back to an organization that's been operating without them for three months. And some things have changed. Some people may have been working differently in ways that they want to hold, right? And so it's really important to think about that in advance. How are we going to re-onboard this executive director? How are we going to share with them everything that's happened? And how are we going to have these kinds of conversations that allow us to grow from this experience? And a coach can be really helpful. I was just about to say, yeah, I'm curious, like, how does that onboarding happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So typically, we we have some advice for people as they re-enter. There's something, and, and a lot of this, you know, we learned from our, again, our colleagues at the Durfee Foundation is they're establishing a stealth week where the executive director is back, but you know, people outside the organization don't know that so that there's time for them to come back and absorb. And really it's the executive director's responsibility to be, you know, what we think of as a chief listening officer, you know, what happened. And during the sabbatical, it's really important for the team to think about what are they learning in real time? so that they can share that with them. Um, We've had organizations prepare memos, you know, so that that they've got all their thoughts written down. So that stealth week is important. And just really creating these meaningful opportunities to talk about organizational shifts and shared leadership and redefinition of responsibilities. And doing that with a coach is really helpful. It's helpful to have someone facilitate that. And then also, you know, to your point earlier on about, um, you know, creating space for others to take sabbaticals, what we found is that's also a really great time to think about putting a sabbatical policy in place for the whole organization if they don't already have one. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know you you started to mention sabbatical coaching, and I know that when you all are supporting an executive director taking a sabbatical, that includes coaching. What is sabbatical coaching? So sabbatical coaching, you know, it's it's coaching, it's coaching slash consulting. It's coaching plus, I would say. And so when it comes to preparing for the sabbatical, what that coach, that coach plus, I'll call them coach plus, is doing is really starting by doing an assessment of the situation. You know, what does this organization want to get out of this experience? And what needs do they have? You know, what do they feel confident about? What don't they feel confident about? 
Because really, at the end of the day, what we tell everyone is, you know, treat this as an opportunity to grow. It's not just a seat warming exercise, right? It's an opportunity to grow the capacity of the organization. So a lot of times when these sabbaticals are really successful, it's because the organization is already having conversations around things like creating more shared leadership, creating more distributed leadership. So thinking about the sabbatical as a tool in that tool chest, right? So the sabbatical coaching, so it really starts with an understanding of how do we want to make the most of this experience? So it's that, and then also, you know, all the planning, helping with the you know, thinking through things like those worst case scenarios and what are the emergencies that we might, you know, want to get in touch with the executive director and all that logistical planning. So then during sabbatical, it's a person who can be a touch point for this leadership team. You know, if anything comes up that they need help sorting through or helping the team sort of facilitate a conversation if they're struggling with anything. And then on the return, it really is about getting everyone together and and talking through, you know, how are we going to make meaning out of this? What have we learned? What do we want to, what do we want to keep in place? How do we institutionalize what we learned from this experience? Yeah. I, I love that. That's phenomenal. Now, you also mentioned that EDs come back often changed as well. How is the ED different and what types of tasks is the ED working on or projects the ED is working on now that it sounds like in a lot of cases, other people are are still doing some of the things the ED used to do. So they got some extra bandwidth. How has that changed the role of ED in these organizations? I think that, you know, everybody talks about this as being really a life-changing experience. And a lot of times they've had this experience of getting, of reconnecting with their non-work self. And so a lot of times it's about, and again, this is where a coach can be really helpful to the executive director themselves, is really thinking about how do I maintain that? You know, how do I not work 80 hours a week? You know, how do I prioritize taking my kid to school in the morning? right? How do I make time for all of those things? So they're changed by that. And then when it comes to the actual work, you know, they all may realize that there were things the executive director was doing or holding on to that they really could let go and empower other team members to do. And it could be something, it could be small or it could be big, right? I mean, it could be as small as, okay, I don't need to be facilitating that thing, you know, that particular management meeting anymore. Somebody else can do that. Or I don't need to be the only person going to this external meeting. You know, my somebody else on my team could be doing that. So it can look a lot of ways. But I think the bigger thing is that um, that balance between, you know, their work life and their personal life and how do they make time for rest. Um, and maintaining those those practices that they learned during sabbatical. One of the things that you've mentioned is obviously each sabbatical is three months long and everyone's kind of responsible for crafting what they're going to do on their sabbatical. 
I'm super curious, though. You've seen over three dozen people come through just in the last eight years. So what what does the average sabbatical look like for people? Mm-hmm. The average sabbatical, I can tell there is sort of an average sabbatical. We often recommend to people, get out of town right away because you need that kind of disruption. So oftentimes it involves some travel, something disruptive for the first month or two. And then most people find the last month, it's really nice to just be home and just be chilling out (laughs) is really, but you know, so, so that's typically how people structure it. People who are partnered or have families will sometimes spend part of it with their partner or family and, and, but to really spend some time alone too. And that can be really powerful. We have known people who have spent the entire, you know, journey traveling and that's what they wanted to do because this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. But certainly I think the norm is this combination of activity and then, and then deep <laughs> relaxation at the end. Wow. And and it's interesting you say that you always encourage people to start their sabbatical with a trip. That's what I did last time. Like literally the first day I was on a plane, one of the things that was on my bucket list was to go to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Oh. Uh-huh. And so the very yeah, so the very next day I was on the plane to Omaha to go watch Warren Buffett and, you know, the Oracle of Omaha uh, work his magic from the stage floor. But but I but it, you're right, it was like it was like completely outside of my normal everyday space. And I went there. And then from there is kind of really where I launched my first trip. But you're right. Like by the time I was done with the annual meeting and then that first trip, my brain had checked out of work. Like I'm like, okay, I don't need to think about anything. And interestingly enough, this time around, it is going to start. My husband has an annual conference in Savannah, which about half the years I go to, it's the only spouse junket I get through his job. So about half the years I go to. About the other half of the time, though, I've got a client commitment and I can't go or whatever. So I'm actually not there every year. So this year, that's actually my start. Is like like the my very first day completely off is going to be, you know, making my way to Savannah, Georgia and having a lovely time in a nice hotel room where I have zero responsibility. So it's interesting that you say that. I'm like, yeah, that that kind of speaks to like what, what I've seen as well. Like if I can start with a trip, you know, then, then I can really Yeah, disconnect. you disconnect. The other thing about it too is, you know, if you're living in a community where you run into people at the grocery store and things like that, they know you as the ED of that organization. And so it's nice to get away because otherwise, you know, you're going to be bumping into all these people who know who know you as your work self, Right. You know, that is such a good point. And I'll also share with you, like, they know you. And what is the first question out of their mouth? Oh, how are things at your organization? Literally, that's always the first question out of their mouth. And what are are you going to say? Oh, I'm on sabbatical. I'm not working right now. (laughs) Like, okay, thanks. Have a good day. (laughs) So that's that's an excellent point as well. One of the other things that I also wanted to make sure that we touched on is, you know, you'd mentioned that oftentimes executive directors come back and this starts the conversation that they're going to have around, within their organization, around, hey, how can we expand sabbaticals for everyone in our organization? How do we as nonprofit leaders, whether we're on the board or whether we're in the C-suite, how we, how can we as nonprofit leaders help our nonprofits move in that direction of really saying, yeah, everybody deserves a sabbatical? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that there are, I will tell you something we, I've noticed um, in this last 
cycle that we did of of meeting applicants and organizations, a lot more organizations do have sabbatical policies more than they used to. I did notice that in the nonprofit sector, they're not necessarily, you know, three month sabbatical policies, and they might not call it a sabbatical. It might be, um, you know, it might be six weeks. But I think that one of the things that this time taught us, this time during COVID, is the value of wellness. And I think that there is, um, we're more attuned to it now. And so I think that now is the right time to be talking about it. Right. And so creating policies, there are a lot of policy examples. A lot of organizations have done this. So really thinking through um, what is the length of tenure when one would be eligible for a sabbatical. Um, I know a lot of organizations think about it, you know, maybe it's after seven years or after 10 years. What would the sabbatical, what would it include? You know, is it six weeks paid leave and then an option for an additional couple weeks unpaid? Another important thing to think about is, you know, then how does this person spend their time on sabbatical? How does that get funded? So I think that there are a lot of, there's probably a lot of good examples to be looking at. Um, and it's an important conversation for our our sector to be having because if somebody has the opportunity to take a sabbatical, but their salary is such, for example, that they really can't afford to do very much during that sabbatical or it would be a burden on them, then um, that's something that uh, we all need to be thinking about. I know you mentioned seven years, ten years. Is there is your organization recommending a time frame? I don't think we have a specific, we don't have a specific recommendation on that. We've got some information on our website about sabbatical policies, but um, we don't have a specific recommendation on that, no. Uh, the last thing I wanted to make sure we talk about before we do the off-the-map question, uh, I know you all do awards, but there's a limited number of, of foundations and other entities out there that are supporting sabbaticals for nonprofit chief executives. So if I'm a board chair or I'm an executive director and I'm thinking, you know, I'd really like for our organization to, to consider doing a sabbatical, but the chances of us getting one of the, you know, dozen or two dozen awards out there is pretty low. What can my organization do to actually enable my executive director to take a sabbatical? Right. It's a great question. And I will tell you that a lot of people who don't ultimately make it through our process, because we do get such a large applicant pool, we couldn't possibly uh, make the awards to everyone. A lot of people still go on and take a sabbatical. And so when thinking about budgeting for a sabbatical, the things to think about are, you know, coverage for three months of salary and benefits for the executive director, thinking about their sabbatical expenses, such as travel costs, and maybe that could be worked through with the board, coaching for before, during, after sabbatical. So thinking about, um, you know, maybe it's 25 hours of coaching, finding a great coach in your community who, who understands organizational development, as well as things like executive transitions. That's the right kind of person. And then also thinking about a stipend or a bonus for the leadership team that's stepping up in the executive director's absence. So those are really the things to be budgeting for. You know, it's it's the paid time off, it's their expenses to travel, coaching, and then a bonus for that team. Hmm. Thank you. That, that That is incredibly helpful. Thank you. And 
Emily, we have covered a lot of ground, but before we go, I want to ask you something completely unrelated to our topic, what we call the -the off-the-map question. And as is not uncommon, I had one off-the-map question prepared for you, and I have a completely different one now. Because when you first came on, and I saw you on Zoom, and your your audio is really good. You said, oh, yeah, my husband is a podcaster. In fact, he has two podcasts. And so um, you also mentioned that you, you've you not really done much in the podcasting world before this point. And so um, I'm like, ooh, this is a good opportunity for me to find out what it's like for my husband. Because, And by the way, and, and I say this publicly on the podcast, my husband does not download or listen to the podcast. So, so I also mean I can pretty much say whatever I want. As long as it starts with my husband, um, I can say whatever I want on the podcast about him. But so what is it like to be a podcasting spouse? Okay. What's it like to be a podcasting spouse? Well, my husband has two podcasts. One is one is a business podcast that relates to his work. He works on strategic narrative with with CEOs. So he's interviewing CEOs on his podcast. And uh, a funny bit about that is every podcast has an intro from my mother-in-law. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. She's become a mini celebrity on LinkedIn. So what he does is he sends her the podcast and she d- talks to the audience about what she thinks they'll get out of the podcast. So that often, so my role often becomes, hey, can you listen to my mom's, you know, my mom's thing? Like, how is this? So we we sometimes work on that bit a little bit together. Um, so that's pretty fun. And then he has another podcast that's purely just for fun called Chill Beefs. And it's uh, people... Many of them are family members um, and friends just complaining about everyday kinds of things. And then he sets their uh, their complaints to music. So it's just kind of a fun thing. So I'm I'm often asked to listen to that and just be um, I'm the fr- I'm the first set of ears. And it's really fun. It's a fun thing that that we get to share together. That's awesome. I, I do have a quick question. This will probably help me see how unreasonable of a spouse I am. And so like today's a recording day and we're recording every odd numbered hour. So we're recording at um, 9, 11, 1, 3, and 5. And so my husband, we, li- we live in a kind of a small town. And so my husband works in our town and he often comes home for lunch. And so I'll say to him, okay, I'm recording today, which means I'm recording at 9, 11, one, three, and five. You can come home for lunch between 12 and 12.55, but I need you to go before 12.55. Are there rules in your house about noise that can be made during podcasting hours? We definitely, I I definitely know that I need to be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm happy to oblige. (laughs) Got it. And I will say the reason I'm always like Frank can't come home during those times is, um, the podcast studio is below the main floor of our home and, and it's a wood structure. And so I can actually hear him walking above and all of our listeners would hear him walking above as well. And I'm like, yeah, no, uh, we can't have that. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much. I'm I'm so glad you came on. Um, We're going to link to both of those podcasts in the show notes. I've actually already pulled up the bigger narrative podcast and I am I am keenly interested in listening to it. So I am tomorrow I've got a flight and I'm going to listen to at least one, maybe two episodes on that flight. But so, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. And before I say my final thank you, my friends who are listening, I want you to know 
how you can find out more. So you can go to o2sabbatical.org, and there you can learn not only about their program, which is honestly just for those Bay Area nonprofits, but you can also get some amazing resources, articles and research papers on the power of sabbaticals. You can also, frankly, get some how-to guides that they've linked to at the Durfee Foundation, which will help you have conversations with your board, your organization, and your staff about sabbaticals. So it is definitely worth your time to go to o2sabbatical.org. I also want to point out that when we asked Emily what she might like for us to promote, she said, uh, can you promote the BIPOC ED Coalition of Washington? And their URL is BIPOCEDCoalitionWA.org. And at that URL, you can find the organization's first black and brown paper that makes the case for sabbaticals as a means of disrupting systems and prioritizing rest for BIPOC communities who have been harmed by multi-generational racism. So also make sure you check out BIPOCEDCoalitionWA.org. Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, friends. If this is an episode that you're like, yeah, I need to know more about sabbaticals. Well, the first thing is we have an amazing prior episode with my friend and colleague, Marvin Webb. And he's actually at a nonprofit where everybody gets a sabbatical after a certain number of years of service. So make sure that you check out that episode with Marvin Webb. I also want you to look at episode 265, Become a Competitive and Equitable Employer with Kevin Dean. Because when we're talking about sabbaticals, a lot of what we are talking about, frankly, is equity. And finally, if you want to keep this podcast going strong, we need your support. So please subscribe, rate, and review. By doing that, you can help us keep the conversation going. And trust me, your friends and family are going to appreciate the shares. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers make me do a disclaimer, and I decided to have some fun. I asked ChatGPT for an interesting way that I could do the disclaimer this week. And here we go. It's in the style of the King James Version of the Old Testament. And lo, hearken unto my words, dear listener, for I must remind thee that I, the humble podcast host, am not an accountant nor an attorney. Yea, verily, I in this consulting practice doth not provide counsel on taxes, law, nor accounting. Behold, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and thou shalt not rely upon it for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Nay, if thou art in need of such counsel, thou must seeketh out a licensed and qualified professional. Thus, let this disclaimer be etched upon thine mind, that thou mayest not err in thy ways, nor sufferest the wrath of the authorities, for the consequences of ignoring this warning could be dire, and lead thee down a path of woe and despair. Go forth now, my dear friends, and seek out the wisdom of accountants and attorneys, that thou mayst prosper and thrive in all thy endeavors.